Once again, a complete joy to be with you this morning. A joy to get to be... Man, I haven't even started preaching. (laughs) John 13 means a lot to me. It means a whole lot to me. And so it's a delight to get to preach this passage to you this morning. We're nearing the end of our sermon series, Encounters with Jesus. We've encountered Jesus the light, and Jesus the good shepherd, and Jesus the resurrection and the life, and now we encounter Jesus the servant. Jesus once said, the Son of Man came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And John chapter 13 is the dramatization of that proclamation. Let me set the scene for us. Jesus has slowed the pace of his public ministry. He's slipped away from the public eye and withdrawn into the stillness of the night to share a final meal with his closest friends. Tomorrow, he's going to be convicted and tortured and crucified. In a few hours, he will be betrayed and denied and mocked. So now he sits around the table with his friends in the stillness, in the calm before the storm. And in the middle of dinner, Jesus gets up. He lays aside his outer garments and he takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist, which in that day and time was to take the form of a servant, to dress oneself like a slave. And then he pours water into a basin and he begins to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that is wrapped around him. And then when he's finished, he puts on his outer garments again and he resumes his place at the table. One of the astonishing things about the Gospel of John is that at every moment where Jesus is being most human, like when he's tired and when he weeps, and now when he gets down and he washes feet, John wants to remind us that Jesus is most divine. That the two are not opposed to one another in the life of Jesus, but perfectly in sin. And we see this right at the beginning in verse 3, because John tells us that Jesus knows who he is. He says, Jesus knows that the Father has given all things into his hands, that like he is the sovereign Lord of the whole universe. And he knows also that he has come from the Father and he is going back to the Father. He's totally secure in his divine identity and relationship to the Father. He knows who he is. And that's why he does what he does. He gets up from supper, lays aside his outer garments, dresses like a slave, bends down to his friend's feet, and starts to wash. Jesus does what he does because he knows who he is. And that's the astonishing part of our passage, is that washing feet for Jesus is not some sort of exception to his lordship and his divinity. It is precisely what lordship and divinity does when it comes into the messiness and ugliness of human life. Bends down, stoops low, is not proud, and washes. A famous 5th century preacher in Constantinople who has a fabulous name, his name is Severian of Gabala, he captured this beautifully. He said this action of Jesus was not a lowering of his dignity, but rather a manifestation of his lordly love for us. 
He who is clothed in light as a robe was clad with a cloak. He who wraps the heavens in the clouds wrapped a towel around himself. He who pours waters into rivers and pools and oceans and streams tipped some water into a basin. And he before whom every knee bends in heaven and earth and under the earth bent his knee to wash the feet of his disciples. In the ancient world, feet were considered to be the dirtiest and most shameful part of the human person. I mean, think about the context for a moment. This dry, arid climate, we know it well in here in California. It means that the ground is just dusty dirt. Feet are sweaty, especially when you're walking everywhere. You're not driving in air conditioning. Roads, especially through the towns, are covered and scattered in the excrement of animals. And there's no closed-toed shoes. They're open sandals. So feet became the ugliest and the dirtiest and the most shameful part of the human person in that culture. It was a deadly combination. And so therefore, there was this huge social and cultural stigma around washing feet. It was literally like the most menial, low task that any human being could ever be considered to do. And so in that world, which is highly stratified and structured, an inferior, a superior never washed the feet of an inferior. It was always somebody that was below you in social standing that washed your feet. It was the job of slaves. It's actually interesting, like scholars in, that have read all the Greco-Roman literature of the ancient world have actually found no instance or story of an inferior actually, of a superior actually washing the feet of an inferior. It's below one's identity and dignity. And so one of the astonishing things here is that John is telling us, like Jesus knows fully who he is. He understands his divine identity. He understands his supreme dignity. And yet he does what human history in that world had literally never seen before. He enters straight into the social and cultural stigma and he bends down to his inferiors. And not just bending down to them, but he gets into the dirtiest and the ugliest and the messiest and the most shameful part of their lives, their feet. And he puts his holy hands right in the midst of it. He doesn't shy away. Jesus doesn't make excuses. He doesn't get all out of sorts and cast blame and shame and hire somebody else to deal with it. He does it himself. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel, of the cross what Jesus is on about in the world and in our lives and in our community and in Orange County. Jesus cleansing and purifying. Jesus lovingly washing the most shameful parts of us. Jesus humbly serving prideful human beings. And what I want to look at with you is that if this is the gospel, if this is what it means for Jesus to be Lord and come in contact with us, then what does it mean for us to be his disciples? Two things. I think the first thing Jesus wants to show us is that being his disciple simply means letting him wash you, letting him love you. See, it's not first about serving Jesus. 
What can we do for him? It's actually about being served by him and receiving from him. So look at verses 6 to 8 with me. I'm sorry if you don't have the verse references in there. We should probably start printing those at some point. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like Simon Peter gets how shocking this is. And Jesus answers him, what I'm doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterwards, meaning like after the cross, you're going to get it, after the resurrection. Peter said it to, to him, you should never wash my feet. And then Jesus' answer is so interesting. Notice how he answers. He says, if I do not wash you, Peter, you can have no share with me. Like, think about how strong those words are. <laughs> If you don't let me do this for you, then you just actually just can't be a part of what I'm on about. You see, I think Peter instinctively resists Jesus doing this to him. And in instinctively resisting it, he expresses something that we so often feel. And that's that having our feet washed feels really uncomfortable and unnatural. I was a residence assistant at um, Biola University many ages ago. And... uh, We had to do this training program where we went to Catalina Island for a five-day hiking trip where you weren't allowed to take a shower or a bath for five days. It was 95 to like 98 degrees out the whole time. We were hiking somewhere between six to 10 miles a day. It was bad. I mean, it got to the point where me and my friends were taking um, hand sanitization lotion and just like rubbing it on ourselves. It, it, was, it was ugly. And one of the amazing things is that at the end of that hiking trip, our superiors, our bosses, we actually had this service where they would come and take off our shoes and, like, peel off our socks. <laughs> and they would wash our feet. And one of the things I remember about it is actually how awkward and vulnerable it felt. Like, to have really dirty feet you would just rather kind of do it yourself or keep them hidden. But to have somebody else to actually stick their fingers between your toes, I mean, I know this is a little graphic, but (laughs) this is is the image here. It's really earthy. It's hands-on. It's involved in ways that we'd rather not have others involved in our lives. I remember asking a young adults group in Canada that I was working with one time, like, would you rather have your feet washed or wash somebody else's feet? Because I was interested. And it was so fascinating to me. At least two-thirds of the people said, I'd much rather wash somebody else's feet than have my feet washed. I thought that was so telling. You see, we resist this, I think, instinctively. To really let someone into the painful and shameful And ugly areas of our lives is vulnerable. And we actually resist it in a lot of our relationships, especially our relationship with Jesus. And there's myriads of reasons for this. One can just be like the reason of busyness. We're too busy to let somebody in. For some of us, it can simply be we don't like admitting that we need Either we fool ourselves into thinking that we can handle those kind of shameful, dark areas of our lives. We don't really need help with them. Or we've convinced ourselves that those areas really aren't as bad as things seem. And so we become very good at the tact and the art of distraction and hiddenness and suppression. 
For others of us, it's that we like to be the ones who serve, and we have a tough time receiving, actually. We like being the competent ones, the ones who have something to offer. It gives us a sense of importance, maybe sometimes even superiority. We like being the strong ones who are in control of our lives, who have our relationships together, who are ready to give to other people, but to have to receive from another person to be dependent on them, to need them. We don't like that. For some of us, we may just struggle with feelings of unworthiness. (laughs) Like we might think it's below another person's dignity and pay grade to actually do this for us. We're unworthy of their care or their affection or their generosity. I think this may be how Peter feels. He's saying like, no, Lord, this is too shameful for you. This is too low. This is not your job. Like, let me do it. Let somebody else do it. But this is not what you are supposed to do for me. And then I think for many of us, I would even say for most of us, we just simply fear fear rejection. Like, we fear rejection. And so we hide from vulnerability. I was journaling about this. Like, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday in my own life. To let someone into the most vulnerable parts of your life is like really risky. Someone once said that the deepest human desire is to know and be known, to love and to be loved, yet the deepest human fear is to be known and not loved. Jesus knows this about the human heart. And he speaks a strong and loving word. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter, Jordan, Jeremy, let me wash you. Let me enter into those places. Let me deal with the pride and the pain. Let me deal with the anger and the resentment. Let me deal with the lust and the addiction. Let me wash you. Let me serve you in this way. See, being a disciple is first about learning to receive. And the second thing it's about is learning to give what we've received, learning to love other people. Verses 12 to 15, it's kind of the last section of the passage. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, do you understand what I've done to you? Which is a funny question, because he just told them they won't understand until later. (laughs) But that's for another day. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, notice how Jesus switches it, the order. If I call you teacher and Lord, if I then, your Lord and your teacher, Jesus is emphasizing his lordship. If I've washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. I think I mentioned this in, you know, in the beginning of September when we were looking at Jesus' encounter with Peter, but isn't it so interesting that Jesus does not ask his disciples to wash his feet in return? Like, that would kind of make perfect sense, especially in a culture that was so much about the reciprocity of gift-giving. Like, if someone did this for you, then you must repay them. You must equal the balances. So if I serve you, you must serve me back. 
If I have you over for dinner, you must have me back over for dinner. If I give to you something, you must give back to me. If I wash your feet, you must wash my feet. But Jesus does not ask his disciples to wash his feet. He doesn't want them to wash his feet. He doesn't need them to wash his feet. Not in the deepest sense. See, Jesus wants us to wash each other's feet. I mentioned this quote a couple months ago from that great British missionary to India, Leslie Newbegin. Because I think he just caught, he got this better than anybody I know. So I'm just going to read it again. He says, Jesus has laid aside his life for us all. And the debt which we owe to him is to be discharged by our subjection to our neighbor in loving service. And here's the key line. Our neighbor is the appointed agent authorized to receive what we owe to the master. Our neighbor is the appointed agent authorized to receive what we owe to the master. I mean, think about this for a second. What if we just let that settle into our hearts and minds for a little bit? What if we let that find its way into our families, into our workspaces, and into our cultures, and into our political dialogue? Like my parents, and my spouse, and my siblings, and my children, I give to them what I owe to the master. My boss, and my employees, and my co-workers, I give to them what I owe to the master. My enemies, those who are of a different political persuasion than me, those who have hurt and offended me. I mean, notice how Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and right before it says that the devil has already planted in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. And Jesus still washes. What would it look like to owe to our enemies, to give our enemies what we owe to the master? You see, Jesus calls the church and the disciples, his disciples, to a totally different way of being human, to a totally different way of relating to people. And it comes out of that place of abundance of having received from the Lord himself, being taught the way to actually live life, and then following him in it. Imagine what it would be like instead of distrust and gossip and deceit and bickering and resentment and fear if there was love and there was service and there was cleansing and there was healing and there was washing of feet. Jesus goes on to say that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, John has got this wonderful picture of Jesus' ministry. On the one hand, it's so personal and particular. It deals with particular people in particular times in particular places and all the intricacies and concrete realities of their particular life. That's why we have these wonderful encounters. Yet at the same time, the point of Jesus' ministry, so clearly in the Gospel of John, is to take all these people and form them into a community, to form them into a people of God, to form them into a people that love and serve and care for one another, and in that way, shine light to the world. A theologian I really like, a Swiss theologian, his name is uh, von Balthasar, Hans Urs von Balthasar. Great name. In his little book on the Apostles' Creed, he had this line that really struck me. He said, the Christian faith is deeply personal, but it's never individual. Think about that. The Christian faith is deeply personal, but it's never individual. 
And I think we see that dynamic at work here with Jesus. Like, it's deeply personal. Like, he gets down to Peter in particular and says, Peter, you've got to let me wash you. But then the response to that that he calls his disciples to is now wash one another's feet. Show each other the love that I've shown you. The Christian faith is deeply personal, but it's never individual. I had the opportunity of going to my first newcomer's lunch on Friday. Not newcomer's lunch, newcomer's dinner. On Friday, it was delightful. (laughs) We crammed about 22, 25 people into the Murad's house, which is marvelous. And my favorite part of the evening was getting to hear other people talk about why they have come to Holy Trinity and what is it that's like made them stick here a little bit. And there are so many things, right? Like the warmth and the welcome and the rest and the thoughtfulness and the quietness and the community, and the list just goes on. And it just reminded me, I was like, wow, I've landed in a pretty great place. This is awesome. (laughs) But it was that question of like, what are we known for as a church? What marks us as the people of God in Orange County? Why do people want to be a part of this community? So many wonderful things. Are we known for our love? For our deep love? That does not shy away from the ugliness and the messiness and the dirtiness and the sinfulness and the brokenness of human life but knows that the Lord is there and he is already washing feet. See, to be the disciples of the foot-washing Lord means first to receive and then to give, and we can only give as we are constantly receiving. So I want to end with this prayer from a man named A.W. Tozer. Our Father who are in heaven, we, your children, are often troubled in mind, hearing within us at once the affirmations of faith and the accusations of conscience. We are sure that there is nothing in us that could attract the love of one as holy and as just as you are. Yet you have declared your unchanging love for us in Christ Jesus. If nothing in us can win your love, nothing in the universe can prevent you from loving us. Your love is uncaused and undeserved, and you are yourself the reason for the love wherewith we are loved. Help us to believe the intensity, the eternity of the love that has found us. May your love cast out fear. May our troubled hearts be at peace, trusting not in what we are, but in what you have declared yourself to be. In the name of the Father and of the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Amen.